Welcome to the Dash Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Gimmage, and joining me today is a former classmate of the illustrious Miami, Ohio University, Jalen Brown. He's a school administrator and a recently elected official to the school board of Maple Heights High School um, board member while he's up there. So I'm excited to talk to Jalen about his experience through education since leaving our alma mater Miami. And before we get started, I want to let you know to go to TreyGamers.com right now to subscribe to the Dash Podcast. Weekly, we interview educators like Jalen who are facilitating solutions in school communities. While you're there, you can also check out my new book, Every Decision Counts, Eight Lessons I Wish They Taught Me in School, and use it for your class, as for intervention, or for a gift for anybody graduating in this next coming quarter. So without further ado, let me get to you, Jalen Brown, sir. Congratulations again on your recent election. How did that whole process or idea to run for school board come about? Yeah, thanks for having me, Trey. I think, um, you know, last year and the year prior, I was a school teacher. So right after Miami, I, you know, I graduated a semester early. I jumped right into the classroom and I took over a classroom in about January. And I've been teaching in Maple Heights for about two and a half years. And this this upcoming school year, which the current school year, I wanted to pursue administration. So um, it didn't work out in Maple where I really wanted to stay. So I just kind of put my foot out there to, you know, just put my hat in, the, in different employment opportunities. And I actually found a dream job, you know, as an assistant principal where I am currently, um, which is at Lander Elementary and Mayfield City Schools. And the reason why I wanted to decide that I was going, you know, go into administration is just because, like, I was passionate about kids. I was passionate about systems, you know, and how processes work to, you know, ma- at the macro level to really impact and influence the micro level. And that's with our kids. So um, the board position opened up perfectly and nicely because there were two seats on the board that was um, available um, for somebody to take over. And because I had left, you know, employment-wise, the school district, it kind of eliminated the conflict of interest. So it kind of prompted me to go into that, to that role or at least try to. Okay, so you're you're in the you are a board member for a different district than the one that you're a principal at. Right, exactly. Okay. So you basically how I work is where wherever you live is the community in which you can run for like city council or mm-hmm. you know boards or different commissions. It's based on your local residency. Um, but if you work for that school district, then you it creates a conflict of interest. Right. So by me accepting another position you know in Mayfield that kind of alleviated that you know that that conflict Mm -hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. so you know talk to me about your journey through the election you know I I was elected um, in 2017 and I just remember going through the process and how grueling it was knocking on doors and talking to people and getting out the vote for people to come out and really support me in a, a <laughs> race that was not presidential. So like, what was your, how was that process for you campaigning for this seat? Did you have opponents? Was it difficult? You know, honestly, I just feel like it was a blessing from God, honestly, because um, at the time that I decided to run, there were three candidates that were on the ballot for two mm-hmm. seats. So I was thinking, you know, like, well, I can put myself in the running that make four candidates for two seats. 
Um, but what I did was I went ahead and filed my petition at the Board of Elections. Um, and my first avenue was not even to just uh, go door to door or start getting my campaign together. What I wanted to do was strategically, I, I reached out to the individuals who were already on the on the ballot. And I really talked to them about what it is they were passionate about, you know, what kind of prompted or pushed them to even run for school board. And, you know, just through conversations, hearing their concerns, um, I was able to you know, capitalize on that and just use my position as a school teacher, as an administrator, and my background within education to really look at the totality of the job as a school board member. And I was able to feel their concerns and also take those into office. Mm. So it was pretty, I wouldn't necessarily say easy, but it was it was more so that they started to drop out the race. Right. Until um, it left two of us. It was one, 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 my running mate would come to be, he was already on the board, but he was appointed. So he had to run for reelection again. So from there, people thought like, okay, it's only two of y'all. Y'all already got the seats. But that's kind of where I really started to push the campaign. Gotcha. You know, I started to go door to door and they're like, well, you already run, you already won. So why do you want us to continue to, uh, why are you continuing to put the effort in? And I think it's because really, I just wanted to show the community that I was in it to win it. You know, that my running mate and I were going to make sure that we did exactly what needs to be done for our schools and for our children um, and just really to get the community some support behind us, even though it would have been easier for us to be like, OK, we won and wiped our hands with it. So the process was it was gruesome, but it was it was easier because we had already had the seats and it's just mm -hmm. really more so just about community building and starting to work early. Yeah, well, you know, I, I love and commend you for your approach to how you went about um, going into getting on the ballot for the school board. I mean, the you know, talking to the people that are already running or that are already in the seat, I think that's an undervalued um, way just to just to be a, a good person, you know, to go about it the right way. It doesn't have to be a competition cutthroat mm -hmm. versus me. And, and that's something I did as well. My incumbent was, um, she was elected the same year I was born. So I went and sat down with her, you know, hey, what was your experience like? What were some of the greatest yeah. successes that you had? You know, how can we keep continuing to build upon this legacy? And so she ended up running against me still, or I ran against her rather, um, but her and I still to this day have a good relationship and we are on some committees together. So I think mm -hmm. um, I'm actually surprised that some, that a lot of other people running for office don't do that because like you said, it's a shared goal in a bigger picture. Yeah, that's true. And it's, it's really more so about, you know, politics of it all, you know, and really thinking about, why you know the why why do you do this work why do you want to run for this position and the board members that I've talked to you know since I've been in office just had the opportunity to go to different conferences you know they all went in well I was not say all I would say 95 percent of those individuals went in because there was some sort of issue you know or um, you know a single issue that prompted them or made them feel some kind of way and for me, I think that especially city council members, board members, any elected officials, you know, it's really good to have single issues, you know, on your heart and in your mind, but also um, having that passion to do work that may not necessarily even be of your interest, mm -hmm. right? You know, so one, one example was it was a board member who she was all about sports and she really wanted to make sure that the sports program was protected. 
you know, but when she got on the board, she was like, you know, I was overwhelmed because I don't know too much about education and curriculum. I don't really know mm-hmm. about, you know, personnel and policy and, you know, things that's coming down the pipeline and yeah. being able to think about all sides, all aspects, including sports, to be able to help steer that superintendent, you know, in the right direction to, the, to guide the district. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really just an education piece as to what a board member is historically, why we have them and what what are the works that we're supposed to do, right? Um, so that's kind of been my charge is to really helping my board members currently to kind of refocus and and think on the macro level about the different things that we need to do, uh, you know, for the benefit of our schools and kids. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me this, I, I know from a city standpoint, again, we get blamed for a lot of things that are actually do not belong, like the city is not responsible for. <laughs> The same thing may happen for you on the school board. People just think everything is the school board's fault. You know, what, what is the role of a school board member mm-hmm. and the school board? Well, the school board is comprised of, again, community members who were elected on behalf of the, you know, that municipality's, you know, residents. And it's more so of what I would call a stewardship role and that we are to our primary goal is to make sure that the funds that the city collects on behalf of the school is allocated um and distributed in in ways that are most effective for our students um and and really serving as as that trustee link between our community members and our actual schools Mm -hmm. um on, on top of that the biggest the biggest supervisor or management role is of the um the superintendent and the school treasurer. So those are the only two individuals who are actually hired and uh, day-to-day supervised by the Board of Education. What we do is we empower and we give guidance, direction, um, and set policies for, you know, day-to-day operations, which the superintendent and the treasurer oversees. So that's really what the school board member does. It's more big picture. It's more so making sure that the systems and, uh, and the culture of our schools is set based on what our community wants um, as well as, you know, serving as a state representative uh, on behalf of our schools. Right, right. You know, and it makes so much sense once you're in. That makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you know, when you think about a, a council or a board, it's really the same as it is in a business, right? Your, your president or your CEO is the same as the superintendent, or in my case, the city manager. Um, and then you've uh-huh. got your, your kind of governing board to oversee everything. And I know one of the crazy things for myself or just realizing that thinking about running for office, actually running for office, and then being elected are three totally different um, situations that you're going into. So what have you seen now? I know it's still new. Mm-hmm. What other pieces of perspective and education have you seen from that, that high level from a board of directors standpoint that you didn't see as a teacher or administrator? I wouldn't say so much now, but I've seen and I've heard, you know, before I was a school board member, just the different politics that the board members themselves go through. So I think that a lot of people, especially myself, when I went to board meetings, you know, it was kind of almost too robotic. Like there, there's something that the community members or that the people who attend these board members don't know. Um, and that's because like board members have what's called executive session. They can kind of hash out things that need to hash out, you know, before a public meeting. So those things happen. So what was interesting and what kind of woke me up, especially after my first board meeting, you know, this week 
was just different politics and ideas and minds and attitudes of the of the actual board members. So um, really making sure that those board members are on the same page, making sure that at least everybody's voice is heard. And if we decide to disagree, that at the end of the day, we still are united. We are still a board and we still reflect positively. You know, that was a big thing for me because I'm thinking like, okay, if I go into the board and I believe this, this is the work that I'm going to be able to get done. Well, in reality, that's not true because, you know, for most boards, you know, a five, which I sit on, you need at least two other people, you know, plus yourself for a majority to kind of get the work that you need done. So you kind of have to play the politic game. You got to give a little to get a little. Um, and it's really just the politics of the board that I really never saw before. Um, and how that really trickles down to to the day-to-day of teaching and learning. Yeah, yeah. And then realizing that some of the changes that you want have to be in the budget, but you can't change the budget until the next budget cycle. But you've got to catch the budget cycle six months before the budget is it needs to be proposed and passed. And they, things mm-hmm. that they, they call it the speed of government. You know, and I'm, I'm sure things may be the same in the school board. Uh, sometimes it can be frustrating, you know, being on a, a board or on a council because your hands do get tied in some ways because you have to um, line up with the rest of the board members or you have to take so much time on decisions. It can be a little more frustrating or as a maturation process, as, as I felt it's been to slow down and really go through the appropriate processes to make sure that we're making the right decisions for everybody. And Jalen, it sounds like you're taking a very headstrong approach and you sound like a leader for the school board, you know, and you're kind of being a catalyst for your board. Um, What's what's sparking that? You know, a lot of folks Mm -hmm. take time to to learn first or to sit back and not saying you're not doing that, but it sounds like you're taking a very assertive approach in uh, being proactive and, and making sure that your board is top notch. Yeah, definitely, Trey. And it's it's honestly what you said. You know, I, I am very headstrong going into into the position. Um, you know, that's just one of the personality traits. You know, I graduated college early. You know, I was a teacher for two years and jumped right into administration. Now I'm still on the board. It's because my passions kind of drive, you know, the things that I do. And like I said, I was a teacher of these kids. So out of 3,000 of the students I've probably had or seen, um, or know personally about 500 of those students. And my sister actually is a student, you know, in the district. So being a student and an alumni of Maple Heights, being a teacher of Maple Heights, I, I really developed strong relationships with, you know, teachers and staff members, the students, families, the community members. And I know exactly what it needs to be done. Um, Previously, a few months ago, like right before I was on the board, there was a survey that was sent out to the teachers, the staff members, parents, and things like that. And they just outlined different concerns that they had, different issues they had. And, you know, before I read the survey, I gave a list to the current board members and say, you know what, these are the things that they're going to say. You know, and lo and behold, exactly the things that I put, you know, were the things that was of concern. So I'm going into the board kind of already having a, a insider's perspective like again our board they are inside but they're they're inside but they're they're too high to really understand mm-hmm. the nitty-gritty things they're they don't know about the day-to-day things so coming in my position and my perspective is very different yeah. you know so like you said you know it's the maturation process for myself is because 
you know, my first board meeting, I came in with like 10 different resolutions and, you know, 10 action items that we needed to just like push through on my very first day. And it was like, whoa, 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 you know, but again, I didn't necessarily think about the actual board themselves, you right. know, as people, as individuals and how they need a piece of education or they need development or they need, you know, more information than what I gave them, you know, mm-hmm. and out of 10 of those things, one of those things happened, right? right. So I just, I'm a, I'm a go-getter. That's my personality toward it. But as you said, sitting back, watching everybody continue to build deeper relationships and, you know, taking things a little slower, I think that that's definitely, you know, true. Absolutely. So how many members of your board are educators or were former educators? So we have five members on our board. We have one individual who's a teacher currently um, at a charter school here in Cleveland. We have another uh, principal, actually, of a charter school here at Cleveland. Mm. Um, myself as an educator, so it's three educators. Okay. And then a fourth one, she is not an educator, but she works in personnel and HR mm. uh, for East Cleveland City Schools. And then the, the other one does real estate, and, and that's what she does. So four of us work in schools, three of us are actual educators, and that's kind of how our board is, is made up of. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's a that's a dynamic group that you've got there, though, with some diversity and even different different experiences and perspectives at the school level. I say, yeah, and it's it's just interesting now that I'm I'm thinking about it now is, you know, two of our board members work for charter schools, you know, yet they represent uh, a public school organization, and especially with things happening, you know, at the national level, at the state level, with Ed Choice and all these different things, you know, Maple Heights has lost $4 million, you know, due to, you know, the vouchers and things like that. Um, But it's interesting to see how passionate they are for public school education, even though their employment is, you know, with with those charter schools. So it's, again, it's just interesting to to think about the the makeup of our board and, you know, how it works. Absolutely. You know, I, I think a big conversation that we've had on the DASH podcast a lot have been centered around diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I feel like when we were at Miami, you know, I was on the Diversity Affairs Council. I know you're a met- member of Phi Beta Sigma. I felt like diversity was a buzzword that was becoming more of a trend and a standard. Um, and to go along with that, you know, there's not very many Black educators, um, male Black educators, young Black elected official educators. You know, there's just so few and far between the people that look like you and me. So first, um, you know, I'm inspired that, um, you know, you and I being contemporaries, um, I'm, I'm excited to see all the work you're doing as an administrator and a school leader. But but how does it, what does it mean for you, you know, not even in the school board or in your position, but to be a young black man that's doing what you're doing for your community and for the next generation? How valuable is that to you? And like, what does that mean for you? You know, I'm not going to, I'm going to answer your question, but I want to, I want to kind of pick it up as a, as a principal, you know, being in my new role, um, because one of the things that I am huge on right now is equity, you know, and this concept of equity and people say, okay, we have very diverse schools. For example, my school building itself, um, is unlike the rest of the school district. Um, but my building has 40% African-Americans, 40% white, and about 20%, um, of other cultures and ethnicities that's represented. Um, speaking 18 different languages, um, things like that. So uh, on on the idea of diversity, you know, one of the things that as an educator, you know, and as a social justice advocate, 
I really try to get people to understand different terms and what they really mean. So for example, everybody in my school building, which is 95% white of, of white staff, they're mm -hmm. thinking about like, okay, our school is very diverse, right? So they're saying diverse because of the, the different skin tones that they see, the different ethnicities and cultures that's represented. But I kind of caution people to really think about um, the equity side of those things is because diversity just means that there is something different, you know, mm -hmm. um, diversity could be in race and skin color. It could also be in diversity of thought, just having different perspectives and opinions. So I use the example for my students to just say, for example, for my teachers and my staff members to say, for example, let's say we had a school dance and there was a white principal and there was a, you know, there was, there, there was a white principal, two white principals and they're having a school dance. You know, diversity is having all the different students of the building coming to the dance and being there very diverse. But the equity is asking a question, who's in charge of playing what songs and what songs are actually played? You know, and for students of color, you know, that may look different for, for students, you know, uh, you know, who are white or Caucasian or Chinese even. So I think equity is more about structures, it's more about, um, who has power, whose voices is at the table and, and or, or not. Um, and diversity is really just thinking about who's there, right? So I am really big into like social emotional, which I know you are too, yeah. uh, because those are the things that we need to empower, you know, all individuals, especially our kids. So that way we do get places that are very diverse, but we also get places and institutions that have equitable systems and practices in place. For sure. And I think that's a good place and, and way to zoom in to your role, you know, off the board onto what you're doing on the day to day um, in the schools that you're working with or the school that you're working with. How does SEL, how do you introduce the character component in SEL to your kids at the high school level or elementary level, excuse me? Um, so one of the programs that we use is zones of regulation. So that's basically started uh, as early as kindergarten and we really teach, you know, the different the different zones which are you know represented as colors to kind of help students process you know their feelings and how they feel inside when situations happen so of course red's like a danger zone you don't necessarily want to be in red um blues greens they just talk about like how you feel um one of the things that i do coming in to a program that was already started this was already started was one helping students to understand how they feel inside but also what they can do to kind of change their feelings um, or their emotions if they if they need to. So, for example, if you are in the red and you're frustrated, you know, what strategies can we implement or what strategies can you use to kind of get yourself kind of out of that red zone? Um, one, but also on my teacher's standpoint is really looking at social emotional learning, especially with zones into more so yeah, we have the zones and we have, you know, the different strategies, but also recognizing, recognizing the importance and value of all emotions. So people say, okay, if you're angry, then that's a bad thing. Well, not really, you know, or if you're happy, that's a good thing. Well, not really. No emotions is really good or bad. Mm. It's their natural things. They just happen. You know, sometimes we can control them. Sometimes we can't control them, but it's about what we do with those actions. So if we are angry and upset you know, just making sure that students understand that it's okay to be angry or to be disappointed, but it's not okay to hurt yourself, to hurt others, to destroy property, you know, because we are still a community and other individuals have maybe similar or different emotions and really taking that approach to say that all emotions are okay. Um, does that make sense, Trey? Yeah, for sure, it does. I mean, 
Um, that's the most critical piece. It starts with self-awareness. And that's one of the main points of SEL. And I, I've been just hitting me that, you know, SEL for us in education is the same as emotional intelligence for anybody else. So that first piece of mm -hmm. emotional intelligence has to do with understanding yourself. And just the acknowledgement of the way you're feeling a lot of times makes it better if it's bad or not as excited if it's too good, you know? So I, I think I think you hit it on the head and it's so important yeah. for, especially at that level, elementary, to be able to understand the self aspect, the internal, intrinsic, intrapersonal piece of yourself so that when you transition to middle school, which is a tough time, mm -hmm. you already have some of the skills that you need to succeed at school and outside. That you do. SEL, a lot of times, since you can't see it, we don't tend to take it as seriously. Academics, you take more seriously because you get the letter grade, mm -hmm. you got the state standardized test. It's still kind of hard to quantify SEL, mm -hmm. but those skills are responsible for, for mm -hmm. your success in the workforce. You know, we could talk about Miami, but I, a little yeah. bit later, but Miami prepares you so much for um, the real world. I had chances to teach as a freshman and as a sophomore, um, one credit hour section. I had chances to interact with my professors and ultimately, all every job that I applied for after college, I received because my one of my freshman professors, Tim Staples, recommended me, and I got all those jobs. So the connections that you have, the relationships that you build, are really that's how you navigate life. So you know those are the skills that you have to teach at that early mm -hmm. age, and that are a lot of times are missing at home and at school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And to add to that. Um, you said that you know sometimes it's hard to see the impact of just like social emotional it's like you, you you can't really always see it measure it quantify it but you know what's interesting that i'm actually working on right now is a social emotional curriculum that will be tied into you know the core curriculum uh, of reading and writing and math um and it, it's going to be so that way we will be able to be better identifiers of social emotional learning and excellence mm. so for example at the early elementary grade level, what I'm doing is I have kindergarten through fifth graders, but I'm systematically choosing um, different executive functions, different executive functions, kind of align it to the state standards and really build a robust co-curricular um, social emotional learning program that works on things like working memory, uh, self-monitoring, mm. um, organization, emotional control. Um, you know, planning, planning and prioritizing. And the reason why I was kind of prompted to really look at executive functioning is because in our district, um, we are, our, our mission and vision is basically every child every day. And we're showing this through what we call all access learning. All access learning is basically complete personalized learning to the point where a kid should be able to come to the classroom every day, set their own goals, plan out how they're going to do things, prioritize what's important what's important and then being able to do that so they decide they want to spend all day on math that's they're allowed to do that mm. as early as kindergarten and first grade yeah. um so the strategies people say well that's impossible they can't do that because they don't even know what they're supposed to learn at this age um the role of the teacher will change from being uh in an industrial model kind of everybody come to the carpet sit at your desk type of thing more so to you know using technology to leverage um 
different assessments, data pieces to kind of figure out where students are. Mm -hmm. And those executive functioning skills are things that can be seen. You know, like you can see if a student is organized or not organized. Mm -hmm. You know, you can see if a student um, is able to control their emotions and, and, and do those things because we're already teaching that teaching them that through zones. So it's really more so about making sure that you have your staff and your people on board who's saying, okay, what outcomes do we want to see as a result of the work that we're doing? So for me, the biggest thing that I hear my teacher say, well, he's unorganized, he can't plan ahead and these things. Well, okay, what we need to do as early as kindergarten is start with executive functioning skills, practices. They need to read about it in books. They need to be able to have conversations about it at morning meeting. And that's how we get students to be able to do these things that we want them to do. And again, like you said, to succeed in the workforce. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing, Jalen. I can't wait to hear more about uh, the development of that curriculum and the implementation and the impact that it's gonna have on your students. You know, I think there's, in, in my research with SEL, so I mm-hmm. found, or somebody posted, it might've been Education Week or somebody else, that showed like 125 different frameworks for mm-hmm. SEL and ways to hit those um, hit those components and you know the one I prefer and it may be this it may be a helpful tool mm-hmm. for you to be able to look at it you know you may already be using it but um, Castle the collaborative academic for SEL they've got a framework that really helps you to implement mm-hmm. school-wide um, and that might be in place you know even as you have the curriculum they recommend some curriculums that you can use but you could obviously and definitely tailor your curriculum and use the framework from Castle so you have some of that um, support behind it as well. And I have just seen, they've got like an assessment on there. Um, there's a guy, I'm gonna interview him soon as well, uh, Mark Brackett, he's developed a system um, called Ruler and it's a way to track some of the SEL. And there's, man, there's some cool stuff, we'll have to talk about this as well. A book called um, uh, The Other Side of the Report Card by Marisa Elias and it talks about how to implement Mm-hmm. and behavior information onto your comment sections of your report card and kind of upgrading the report card so that it's more than just academic, but actually gets into um, how your student is doing from a behavior standpoint as well. Right. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm going to have to definitely check out that book for sure. Yeah, well, well you know what, Jalen, I think that there's, we're going to have to have you back on the show a couple more times too, man, because I, I really want to hear, we didn't even get to touch too much on Um, some of your experience in classrooms and as a principal. I think you just gave us the surface here, um, but we Mm -hmm. have so much to chew on from a state or a board member perspective that I'm gonna just let all of our listeners chew on that. I'm gonna have to invite you back another time to go deeper into um, your life and your world as a principal as well. That sounds good, that sounds good. Is there a last question for me? Is there a specific mission goal or purpose for you personally that you're striving for in your journey of education? Um, Honestly, uh, I've been thinking about this. I love the work that I'm doing, um, you know, with social emotional learning and more so with actual behaviors that I I may be, you know, shifting, you know, my career moves. I'm not 100% um, about that, but I'm more so, I'm, I'm more so not like I love being a principal it's, it's been great but it's more so about the work that I want to do every day right and I want to I want to be able to tackle the tough challenges like even mm-hmm. through all the good stuff that we've been able to implement or restorative practices and 
you know, with social emotional learning, with all these different things, there's still some of our, some individuals, um, more times often than not are boys of color uh, who are, who are suffering even with all of these different things. So what is it that is, that's missing? Um, Where is there a gap and how can we really look closely at at these gaps and be able to close them? So that's kind of what my purpose and my mission is, you Mm. know, right now and kind of moving forward. Bridging gaps in education. I, I can dig that so much, man. Man, I appreciate your time so much today, Jalen. Where can the people go to find you? Uh, you can find me um, on social media at Twitter at I Believe Blue uh, Two on Instagram as well. Um, yeah, follow me. I'll follow you back. All that good stuff. <laughs> right, on, right on. And, and shout out to Miami as well for preparing us for. Um, so much early success in in the young career and um, helping us become young, well-rounded men. Yeah, for sure. We're going to have to definitely take a trip back, maybe together, yeah, and man. go down there and speak to some students or you know, collaborate. Let's do it, man. I um I recently had a chance. I went to homecoming this past year. Um, I've been on the board for the psych department. They had a new board, and so that, that was a cool way to get back to Miami and a couple times a year, we go and try to do a symposium um, and like an open house for the kids, man. So that that mm-hmm. like doing the education department as well. Yeah. Our conversation, you'll definitely be back on the show. And everybody, thank you for listening. You heard where Jalen, where you could find him at. So please go follow him. And if you like this episode, share it with somebody who needs it. Someone in education, contemplating running for a board seat. And also go to TreyGamers.com to subscribe to the Dash Podcast now and check out a copy of my new book, Every Decision Counts, Eight Lessons I Wish They Taught Me in School. It's an SEL workbook for middle and high school students, and it's something that can be used for you to deliver in a whole class setting as a group read or as an intervention in a refocus for some students. They can go to refocus, read a chapter, reflect a little bit, and come back and be ready to learn. So thank you once more for your time, and we will see you on the next episode. This is The Dead Show.